At the conclusion of Gemara Pea, we come across a disturbing story of an individual who fulfilled two mitzvahs for which the Torah promises long life, and he died while doing so. And so the Gemara, they will tell us that Rabbi Yaakov says there are no rewards for mitzvahs in this world. It's all in the world to come, which is unusual because the Mishnah immediately before that seemed to imply that there is a reward for mitzvahs in this world. And we say the same thing every morning in the morning broches. The Rambam also seems to say that the idea of reward of long life applies to the next world, which is interesting because the Rambam does speak about the idea of being rewarded physically in this world too. So we need to understand which is true. Is there a reward for mitzvahs in this world or not? And is there a difference between the reward of long life and other kinds of physical reward which you may have in this world? Now, the two mitzvahs that are associated with long life are to chase away a mother bird on the one hand and to honor parents on the other. And we could possibly distinguish in the Rambam's view between the one which is a mitzvah between us and another person, respect for parents, and a mitzvah that is between us and Hashem, like the mitzvah of chasing away the mother bird. And perhaps that's where the distinction lies between whether or not you are rewarded in this world. We'll also link the beginning and end of the Masechta, and we'll also learn a very powerful personal spiritual lesson from this conversation. Isabel Messiah Masechta Chulin says right at the end of Masechta Chulin, Tanya Devei Rabbi Yaakov Oimer, they taught in the yeshiva of Rabbi Yaakov, there is no mitzvah in the Torah where the Torah immediately records a reward for that mitzvah which does not depend on the resurrection in order to get that reward. In other words, you don't get the reward in this world. What are the two primary examples? When it comes to honoring parents, the Torah says, why should you do so? In order that your days should be lengthened and in order that it will be good for you. And Bishiluach HaKeinksiv, with the mitzvah of chasing away the mother bird in order to take the eggs or the young, there the Pasuk says, You should do this in order that things should be good for you, and you will have a long life. So what would happen, because there was a story that Rabbi Yaakov was concerned about. What's the story? A person whose father told him, Go climb up to that high place, and bring me the fledglings that are living in the nest up at the top of this particular building. He went up, and he did exactly what his father had told him, and the mitzvah of sending away the mother bird in order to take the children. And when he was on his way down, he fell and he died. So where is the long life that the Torah had promised for the two mitzvahs of listening to his father and chasing the mother bird? Where is the goodness that both of those psukim promised? So therefore he concludes that when the Torah tells you that the mitzvah is in order that you should have a long life, it means at the time where life extends indefinitely, in other words, after the resurrection. And when it says that you'll have goodness, it means at the time when the world is only goodness. Ask the Gemara, Says the Gemara, maybe, maybe that's not the case. Maybe that's not true. Maybe if a person is doing a mitzvah, they are protected and they have this long life. Says the Gemara, Rabbi Yaakov, the Gemara says, no, Rabbi Yaakov actually saw such a case in front of his eyes. And then the Gemara says, well, perhaps the person didn't intend necessarily to have the right intentions. But the Gemara concludes, that in Rabbi Yaakov's view, there is no reward for mitzvahs in this world. So Rabbi Yaakov is clear. Reward for mitzvahs only in the world to come.
Now that's strange because of a pashtas mashmash Rabbi Yaakov Cholik al Mishnah It sounds like Rabbi Yaakov is disagreeing with the Mishnah that immediately precedes this conversation, and the Mishnah is not assigned to a particular authority, which implies that everybody agrees with it. What does it say there? A little later in the Sikha, we'll analyze this, the nature of this Mishnah because it does seem to be two different topics why they're both in the same Mishnah. But for now, let's just read it. What if there's a mitzvah that is so easy to do because the potential loss, i.e. not being allowed to take the mother as well as the eggs, is like a small coin. And yet, for such an easy mitzvah, that things will be good for you and you will have a long life. How much more so will you get goodness and reward for doing the harder, more challenging mitzvahs in the Torah? Now, that Mishnah does not seem to imply that the long life and goodness is only in the next world. It seems to be saying in this world. So, why would Rabbi Yaakov contradict the Mishnah that appears and that he's commenting on? It appears right before his statement he's commenting on. Then a Mishnah we're much more familiar with. A Mishnah also that is not attributed to a particular author, so you have to assume that everybody agrees with it. In Peya, one we say every day in our davening, that the following are the things that a person benefits from in this world. And the primary reward is reserved for the world to come. And what's on the list? Right? Various things, of which the first is honoring parents. So, why is Rabbi Yaakov saying there's no reward for mitzvahs in this world when we seem to have two pieces of evidence from a primary source, the Mishnah, that say that we do? But on the other hand, we also find, though, that the Rambam Paskins, which at face value seems to be the same thing as Rabbi Yaakov is saying, he says this, that the ultimate goodness which is reserved for tzaddikim is the life of the world to come. That is the kind of life that cannot be disturbed by death. And it's the kind of goodness that is not corrupted by any kind of bad. That's the pasuk. That's when it says that you will have goodness. It's referring to the future. And he, con- he continues me. Our tradition is that we have learned that Hashem who will do good for you, that means in the world where everything is good. Same words as Rabbi Yaakov used. And that you'll have long life in the time where life is truly long, like Rabbi Yaakov said. And the Rambam continues on the theme a little bit later. That what is the ultimate reward and goodness that we will merit getting if we follow Hashem's path? It's the world to come, the life of the world to come. That it'll be good for you and you'll have length of days. All of that seems to be identical with the opinion of Rabbi Yaakov. So now the question is doubled. Not only do we have a question about Rabbi Yaakov's opinion, but why would the Rambam choose to paskin the halacha according to Rabbi Yaakov's individual opinion rather than in line with two Mishnayas that seem to be the majority opinion that there is reward in this world? The question is even more than what we initially anticipated. The 
Hemshech Dvarav Shom Kosovo Rambam. The Rambam continues in his writings over there and explains, He asks a question, famous question that the Rambam asks. Now that we know that reward for mitzvahs is reserved for the world to come, so why does it say in so many places in the Torah, If you listen, you'll have these blessings. And if you ignore Hashem, X will happen to you. That's all talking about this world. So the Rambam takes it as a given that the reward for mitzvahs are in the world to come. And therefore he asks the question, so what about all the Yehudim, all the promises of the, of, of the Torah of what you'll get for mitzvahs? For example, the difference between being satisfied with enough food or, God forbid, famine. Or war versus peace. Or being in a position of having a Jewish kingdom or being as the underdogs. Or living in Israel, being exiled from Israel. Or general success or the opposite. And the various other things that are enumerated in Hashem's covenant with us. So the Rambam is almost like surprised by that. There are no rewards for this for mitzvahs in this world, so why does the Torah say these things? And he explains. All of that is valid and it will all come to fruition. If we fulfill Hashem's mitzvahs, we will benefit from all of the great things that Hashem has to offer us in this world. And if we transgress what Hashem says, then God forbid we open ourselves up to all the negative things that could happen that are written in the Torah. All of those wonderful things that could happen in our world, the rain at the right time, peace in our land, etc., that's not the ultimate reward for mitzvahs. And God forbid the curses that could happen to a person who ignores Torah mitzvahs and transgresses them. That's not the ultimate punishment or revenge, as he calls it, that could come against a person. This would be the way to create a clarity about how to understand this principle. Hashem gave us the Torah and it is the tree of life, meaning you connect with it, you're plugged into life. Anybody who fulfills everything written in the Torah, and anybody who knows the Torah well, through the Torah and the observance of mitzvahs, the person will merit the world to come. And how much of an experience in the world to come you have will be relative to how much you have done of the mitzvahs and how well you have learned the Torah. And then the Torah says over and above that. So doing Torah mitzvahs gets you into Olam Haba. But if you do Torah mitzvahs with enthusiasm and joy and a good spirit, and we become fixated on constantly learning Torah, then Hashem promises us over and above the reward in the next world, then Hashem will simply remove all the obstacles to fulfilling Torah mitzvahs in this world. That's not a reward, it's a facilitation. You're doing a good job, you're enthusiastic, so Hashem helps you along the way. So that you won't have illness or war or famine which could interfere, make it difficult to learn Torah and do mitzvahs. And then Hashem will shower us with all of the goodness that we need to support our endeavors to fulfill Torah and mitzvahs. 
Like, for example, having enough to eat and living in a peaceful environment and having wealth. Why? So that we won't spend so much of our time obsessed with things that the body needs. But rather to allow us to be free to learn Torah and to do mitzvahs. And here's the kicker. In order that we should merit a portion in Olam Haba. So if, if that's not clear, I don't know what is. The Rambam's surprised at the notion that you get rewarded in this world and then explains it's not a reward. Reward is reserved for Olam Haba. In this world, Hashem facilitates an easier passage so you can do Torah Mitzvahs better so you can really get into Olam Haba. So now we've got to ask a very interesting question. If the Rambam is explaining and justifying why there are all these various things that happen in this life, if his philosophy is that reward is only in the next life, why doesn't he just, while he's about it, say, and part of that is to live a long life. Part of how Hashem facilitates you learning Torah and doing mitzvahs is that possible. Things will be good for you. Okay, that I've explained. You should have a long life as well. So something's weird here. It seems that the Rambam Dafka feels that long life cannot be physical as a reward for mitzvahs, and we need to understand why. So Kosav. Let's have a look at the perspective of the Maharsha. And we'll try see if maybe the Maharsha could explain the Rambam's view. We'll conclude that it doesn't. What does the Maharsha say? You, Rabbi Yaakov, in the Gemara, you've just said that there's no reward for mitzvahs in this world. Ah, you'll ask, what about all the promises that the Torah gives of health and wealth and all those good things? So you can't just explain that. What's it saying? In this world, if you listen, you get brachas and good. And if you don't listen, then you get punished. Because Rabbi Yaakov would agree, he'd say, you know what, on the whole, if the community generally does Torah mitzvahs, then the community generally lives in peace, has enough food, and has enough money, and all the other promises. When Rabbi Yaakov told us that there's no reward for mitzvahs in this world, he's talking on an individual basis. So the collective benefits from the collective mitzvahs, the individual only gets rewarded for mitzvahs in the next world. Maybe that's the Rambam's opinion too. The only problem is the Rambam makes zero mention of any distinction between an individual versus the community. So in other words, the Rambam clearly believes principally that reward is in the next world. And in this world, there may be certain good things that Hashem gives us to allow us a better chance of doing Torah and mitzvahs. One last question about the Rambam, and that is, it is interesting that the Gemara, Rabbi Yaakov, quoted two psukim, one from Kibbutz Aim and one from Shiloh HaKain, about the concept of having a long life, and the Rambam only quoted one. 
In his entire conversation, the Rambam's conversation about whether or not there is such a thing as reward in this world, he only quoted the Pasuk from sending away the mother bird, where it says that it's in order that you should have a good life and live long. It's quite strange that not only did he not quote the Pasuk from the Aserah Sadibrois about honoring parents giving you long life, but it's doubly strange because that's mentioned first in the Torah and usually all of the medieval commentators try and find the first, the earliest reference in Torah to, to, to um, prove a point. And besides that, obviously, it's strange that the Rambam is speaking differently to the Brice of Rabbi Yaakov, which brought both Psukim. So we need to understand why. And that will actually be a clue, because that's the first time we realize that in the Rambam's view, there must be a difference between the nature of the mitzvah of honoring parents and the nature of the mitzvah of Shiloh HaKain. So that difference is going to play out in how we get to understand all of this. But before we can understand, as is the typical way of Jewish learning, we have to ask ourselves another question. We'll understand this by first analyzing this question. If Rabbi Yaakov wanted to make his point, which is that you are not rewarded for mitzvahs in this world, why did he need two proofs for it? Surely you make your point to bring a proof and that's satisfactory. So, why did Rabbi Yaakov feel it necessary to emphasize that both when the Torah tells us about honoring parents, it does not literally mean long life in this world, and also when it tells us about Shiloh HaKain, it also does not mean long life literally in this world. Should you make your point once and we get it and we understand it? Ah, you're going to say, Well, it's because Rabbi Yaakov saw a particularly disturbing story. And that story of it happened to be a story that incorporated both honoring a father and Shiloh HaKain. That doesn't answer the question. It actually is part of the question. Why did the Gemara actually have to even tell us that much information that the son had fulfilled two mitzvahs? Even if the Gemara had just said there was a story of a child who went to send away a mother bird and died in the process, that would have been good enough. This would be enough proof of the fact that there is no reward for mitzvahs in this world. Why do I need to know that level of detail that this young man, this child, had actually fulfilled two mitzvahs for which the, the Torah had promised long life? It, it's actually irrelevant because the principle is either you're rewarded in this world or you're not. Or to look at it from the opposite angle. Yes, of course, Rabbi Yaakov is referring to a story that he actually witnessed and that story happened to include two mitzvahs still a question. How do I know from that particular story that there is no reward for mitzvahs in this world? Maybe I don't know enough about that story. Maybe that young child wasn't looking to fulfill a mitzvah. Maybe this child didn't have a foggiest clue or intention to want to fulfill the mitzvahs. Maybe that's why he wasn't rewarded, because he wasn't planning to do a mitzvah. Now that's a big discussion in its own right, whether mitzvahs require intention. 
Even if you go with the opinion that says that a mitzvah does not require intention in order to fulfill a mitzvah, which is something we rely on quite heavily, right? How often do we do mitzvahs without intention? So let's even go with that view. You do realize that when we say that a mitzvah is a mitzvah even without intention, that's the emphasis, without intention. The person was effectively oblivious. The intention was absent. But if a person has a malevolent, inappropriate intention, that person says, I'm going to do this action, and I don't want it to count as a mitzvah. Then everybody will agree that that neutralizes the value of the mitzvah, and he does not fulfill the mitzvah. So how do we know? Maybe in that particular story that Rabbi Yaakov saw, it was such a dramatic outcome because he had such a dramatic attitude. Because this child, perhaps, Dafka did not want to fulfill the mitzvahs, and therefore Dafka lost the opportunity for the mitzvah to protect him and give him this long life. So how do we know from that one single story that there's never reward for a mitzvah ever. So a little earlier, we referred to the fact that there is a Mishnah that precedes Rabbi Yaakov's comment. And we're now going to analyze that Mishnah and find firstly that there seems to be a very tenuous, if any, connection between the first and second part of the mitzvah and quite a fascinating thought process that goes into what the Mishnah is actually going to talk about. So, a little bit higher up on the page, on Kufman Bey Zomadalev, just before Rabbi Yaakov's story and Brisa, is a Mishnah. It's the final Mishnah of Masech Tuchulin. What does it say? It says, A person may never take the mother together with the babies, even if you needed the mother to be part of the korban that we use for a person who has had saras and now needs to purify themselves. That's point one of the Mishnah. Point two, then it says the part we quoted earlier. Wow, look at that. A mitzvah that comes at no cost. So you're going to have to find another bird. It won't cost you very much. And yet the Torah says for having fulfilled this mitzvah, things will be good for you and you'll have a long life. How much more so for the more serious or difficult mitzvahs in the Torah? It's a pretty well-known question on this Mishnah. What links the two parts of the Mishnah? Because apparently there are two totally separate concepts. The first part of the Mishnah is Din a practical halacha about that there is never an excuse to take the mother bird together with the babies, even if you think you have a noble cause to help the guy with Tzara's. Number two, an announcement about how great the reward for mitzvahs is. Because look, here's somebody who did a mitzvah, and look what happened to them. And it was an, an easy mitzvah. So how much more so for the big mitzvahs? Now, very often at the end of a Gemara, we know that the Gemara likes to end on a positive note. So maybe that's why it's stuck in the piece about the reward for mitzvahs, because it had just spoken about something negative, the mitzvah. So, 
please don't argue that the only reason the Mishnah put in the part about reward for mitzvahs is to end on a positive note. So as not to end the whole Masech with the word Metzorah, which of course has a negative connotation. Because if that were the case, didn't have to be a single Mishnah. You could have had one Mishnah about the law of the Metzorah and a different Mishnah that spoke about the value of reward. Especially when you consider that the Mishnah uses a conjunction, Avav. So it tells you the halacha about not taking this mother bird even for a mitzvah, and it also straight away goes into the conversation about the value and reward of mitzvahs. And Gamsochlov, and one other thing to understand, the Divra Mishnah, if, as the Mishnah proposes, we're going to develop a kalvachomer, a logical. A progression from an easy mitzvah like Shiloh Hakein to all the other mitzvahs. Well, if it's so logical, then why did the Torah have to spell out it with Kibudavaim, which is one of the most serious mitzvahs in the Torah? Tell me again, that you'll have long life. I could just work it out from the Shiloh Hakein. So this is the hinge for the entire explanation of what's going on over here. Whether or not we believe that there is reward for mitzvahs in this world, Rabbi Yaakov seems to say clearly not. The Rambam apparently also says not, but they say it in different ways, which indicates that they actually are not saying an identical thing. Versus the Mishnah at the beginning, at, at the beginning of this conversation and the Mishnah Empeya, they both seem to say that there definitely is reward in this world. So in order to understand that, let's look at this. Let's understand the psychology of why we're even entering the conversation. Why would you think that it's a good idea to take the mother bird together with the young in order to help the Matsura if the Torah says you're just not allowed to take the mother bird together with the young? So the prohibition against taking the mother bird for the Matsura, the Gemara de- derives from Miyitra Loshan, Shaleach Teshalach. So the Gemara says it's because when the Torah introduces the law of Shiloh HaKain, it doesn't just say, Shaleach, send away the mother bird. It says, Shaleach Teshalach. The second word is a repetition, and it's out of that repetition that the Gemara says the following. When the Torah tells me, Shaleach, send away the mother bird, I know that that means if I personally want the mother bird for my own personal use, I'm not allowed to take it. From where do I know that if I need that mother bird for a mitzvah, like the mitzvah who needs a carbon in order to purify himself, how do I know I'm not allowed to take this mother bird? That's why the Torah used the second word, to tell me under any circumstances, no matter how noble the cause, you're never allowed to take the mother bird together with her young. The Gemara then gets into the detail of this and says this. The Maria, we're talking about a case that the person took the young thinking he was going to send away the mother bird. Now that's relevant because as far as Shiloh HaKain is concerned, it's a double-edged mitzvah. On the one hand, there's a prohibition that you may not take the mother bird together with the young. That's a mitzvah, a negative commandment. And in addition to that, there's a positive mitzvah, certainly send away the mother bird. This guy's now taken the young, and at that point he had the intention to send away the mother bird. So he has not transgressed the do not take the young, because he took the young in an appropriate fashion. 
Now there's only a single positive mitzvah to send the mother bird away, and there's a single positive mitzvah to help the Mitzorah. So you would think we have a principle which teaches that peace is such a big deal that Hashem was even willing to have his name erased for the sake of peace, particularly between husband and wife in the case of the Saita. And this fellow who has Saras cannot be intimate with his wife, so there is pressure on their marriage. I'd think, what? follows logically seeing as this man currently cannot be intimate with his wife which is a positive mitzvah in the Torah that he owes her oino the conjugal rights so you might think that his positive requirement to be with his wife overrides the positive requirement to now chase away the mother bird after I've already taken the young says the Gemara therefore the Torah says shaleach to emphasize that even when you believe, not only that you want to help a guy in distress, but you believe he has a mitzvah to fulfill, and maybe I should be allowed to facilitate his mitzvah by ignoring this mitzvah. No, under all circumstances, you are required to send away the mother bird. Now, of course, the Gemara is learning this straight out of the words of the Pasuk. Still, in spite of the fact that it's obviously based on the words of the Torah, that doesn't mean it has no logical basis. And we're going to analyze the not logical basis, or perhaps we can call it the psychological basis, because what we're going to discover is that embedded in the concept of Shiloh HaKain is an element of compassion. Tanan. Mishnah teaches us quite a well-known Mishnah. If a person in the course of their davening says, God, may you have mercy as you do over the nest of the of the birds, because you tell us we have to chase away the mother, so we silence such a person. It's not an appropriate way to daven. From which we understand, that tells you that the reason to chase away a mother bird before you take her young is an element of compassion for her. It's just that we're not allowed to make a statement that that's the reason why we chase away the mother bird. It's, a, it's an element, it has validity, but it's not the reason why we chase away the mother bird. Because then that makes it sound like what Hashem decides is humanly understandable, compassion, relatable features, like as if Hashem feels as we do, rather than saying, this is Hashem's infinite wisdom and He decrees accordingly. We find that many people like the Rambam argue that there are various logical, compassionate reasons to send away the mother bird. So what do we see? That in spite of the fact that you and I will keep a mitzvah because Hashem said so, there is a logical basis to say and built into that mitzvah, this mitzvah of sending away the mother bird, is an aspect of compassion. Now, here comes the logic. Purifying the person who has Taras is also an act of compassion. For that individual, because the logic is, we know that Hashem was willing to allow His holy name to be dissolved in water 
and erased in order to hopefully bring back a couple who's fallen on bad times. Their marriage is on the rocks. Hopefully we can bring them back together. So likewise, let's apply the same compassion to this person who has Saras and let's be compassionate to him, allow him to be back with his wife. In Cain, if that's the logic, if the two mitzvahs come head to head, the mitzvah to help a person compassionately because he can't be with his family, and the mitzvah to send away the mother bird, compassion for the bird, who's going to take priority? If I've got compassion for a human versus compassion for an animal, which one should take priority? Surely the halacha would suggest that we are first compassionate to a person and then compassionate to an animal. From the same logic that tells us normally we have to be compassionate to animals, that we dare not cause an animal harm. Well, if that's how much the, 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 the Torah cares about animals, how much more so about people? If there's something that could benefit a person, we will overlook the pain to the animal. As we very well know that the halacha is that you overlook potential pain to an animal in favor of honor to a human being. Especially when you consider that after we sort out the guy with the tzaras, we can still fulfill the mitzvah of Shiduach HaKain. And therefore, in spite of the fact you might come up with all these wonderful logical arguments to say, ignore Shiduach HaKain now because we've got the tzaras man to look after, comes along the Torah and says, no. That's not a valid argument. And Shiloh HaKain has to happen. And perhaps if you want to look for a logical reason, he has a logical reason. Because sometimes the Torah will challenge us to do that which does not come naturally for us in order that we could grow as people. Like, for example, in the midst of Azov Tazavimoy, if you see that there's a donkey in distress and you have to... Um, Either offload the donkey or load the donkey, because both of those are a mitzvah, says the Gemara as follows. Let's say that you've got somebody who's your good friend and his donkey is under a load that is too much. So you, there's a mitzvah to help offload the donkey. And then you've got your enemy and he's trying to load his donkey. And you have a mitzvah to help somebody load their donkey. Says the Gemara mitzvah besoyne, prioritize the person who you don't like, so you grow and overcome your Yetzirah, which is obviously to help the guy I care about and ignore the person I don't like. You can apply a similar logic here. Especially when you consider that there is a view that says, who is somebody who you hate? Somebody who the Torah requires you to hate because they behave in a particular way and yet the Torah says still prioritize that person to help them to load their donkey. We can say the same kind of logic here. In order to work on yourself, to grow yourself, to overcome your impulsive nature. Meaning to, to grow and mature your compassion. The Torah redirects us away from the person we want to help to the bird that we might have ignored helping. So we learn that compassion is not left to our discretion. 
Anyhow, that's a bit of a side point. Coming back to our main point, what is clear is, is a mitzvah that the human sensibilities can appreciate. I get why we do it. We're a compassionate people. We don't want the mother to suffer to see her children being taken from the nest. Send her away. That helps us to understand the nature of the Kalvachomer in that final Mishnah in Chulin. Because what did it say? What if there's a mitzvah that is easy to fulfill and cheap to fulfill? It's not only an easy mitzvah to fulfill because the potential loss of revenue is so small. It's just an iser. Because let's be honest, there are other mitzvahs that come at less cost or some are free. Some mitzvahs cost nothing. What makes this mitzvah unusually easy? Because my mind is on board for this mitzvah because I want to be a compassionate person and I like something which speaks the message of compassion. I want to be part of it. And still, and still the Torah says that it will be good for you and you can have a long life for doing such a mitzvah. How much more so for the other mitzvahs that we grapple with that don't necessarily resonate with our sentiment. Can you imagine how much reward for those? Especially those mitzvahs that cannot be explained rationally and don't speak to the natural sensibilities of a human being. For sure, for those mitzvahs, you for sure deserve goodness and long life. Okay, so what do we have from here? We've got this very interesting perspective, psychological perspective that says, if I find it easy to do a mitzvah because it resonates with me, it speaks to me as the kind of person I'd like to paint myself to be, a compassionate person, and I get such a massive reward for it, how much more so the other mitzvahs? But on the other hand, that's the sentiment. The way the halacha plays out, it's I'm not allowed to take my compassion to such an extent that I think now I should take this bird in spite of its suffering to relieve the suffering of a person who's got saras. That tells me something very important and this will be the pivot of understanding the distinction between Rabbi Yaakov's view and the Rambam's view and different kinds of mitzvahs and how they impact us and what kind of reward we get from them. Because now it's mashmash mitzvah mitzvah odam This highlights for us that there are two different mitzvahs over here. Helping the tzaras, the mitzvah, that's a per interpersonal mitzvah. I have a connection to that person, I relate to them and I'm going to help them. Shiluach HaKain is not an interpersonal mitzvah. Basically what we're seeing over here is that the Torah has instructed us that we substitute the goodness for this person and instead focus on the goodness for the bird. Because here is a fascinating piece of information. When I do good for another person, my intention is irrelevant. The most important thing is the action. The goodness that that person will receive. If you give money to a beggar, the beggar its not going to psychoanalyze you. He got the money, he's happy. That's what he needed. So therefore, if Shiluach HaKain was only an inter species mitzvah 
and was only about the care for the good of the mother bird. Then I would have said, well, interspecies versus interpersonal. Interpersonal takes, definitely takes priority. Because definitely to bring peace again in that home between this couple that's now been separated for a period of time definitely overrides the care for this bird. Now we understand why the Mishnah puts the two together, why it juxtaposes the law that you can't t- uh, override Shiloh came for a Metzorah with the law that, wow, a small mitzvah brings great reward. Can you imagine what a great mitzvah does? Why the Torah Dafka puts the proposal that a small mitzvah Great reward, how much more so? Great mitzvah is dafka put, next to the law that you're not allowed to take the malabonim, the mother, together with her young for the sake of the material. Why? Because he lived for air. It's coming to clarify for us. That this particular promise of life being good and long life. Is not the kind of reward which you get some of it to enjoy in this world, like the Mishnah and Peah. Yes, the primary reward is, re- is reserved for the world to come. It's not in that category. What kind of a mitzvah do you also get benefit in this world? An interpersonal mitzvah. Because your friend benefits from your deed in this world, so you get some of the reward in this world. But sending away the mother bird. The focus of that mitzvah is not the good that will come to the mother bird. Rather, the fact that you are doing what Hashem wants. How do we know that? Because we see that the Torah is not willing to relinquish this mitzvah in favor of helping another person. That tells you it's not in the category of mitzvah where we care about the one impacted. This is in the category of mitzvah where we care about what Hashem wants. The mitzvah of sending away the mother bird falls squarely into the category of a mitzvah between you and Hashem. It is not a mitzvah between you and the bird. Helping a fellow Jew is a mitzvah between you and the person. Sending away the mother bird is between you and God. So in this story, in this kind of a mitzvah, between you and God, the reward is only in the world to come. So now we have some clarity. When do you get rewarded in this world? For a mitzvah. When do you get rewarded only in the world to come? Mitzvah. And therefore the pasuk that promises long life for honoring parents is not part of this conversation about the Shidduch HaKeim. Because honoring parents is an interpersonal mitzvah for which a person also enjoys benefit in this world. Now that we know this distinction between the kind of mitzvahs of Ben Adam Lechavera and mitzvahs Ben Adam Lamokim, and that only Adam Lechavera is rewarded also in this world, and Ben Adam Lamokim only in the next world, that explains why we're now in the next 
discussion, the Brysa. Tanya de Rabbi Yaakov Oymer Bechule, the quotation of Rabbi Yaakov in the Brysa. Of Itvara Mevi Raisha Schamitsu Bayam Alekam Izeshen Ophelomais. Where Rabbi Yaakov is of the view that there is no reward for mitzvahs in this world. How do I know? Because look at the story of the man, who, the kid, who climbed a ladder, fell down, and died. Rabbi Yaakov wants us to know this incident was not purely just about sending away the mother bird. It also included Actually, Rabbi Yaakov, who believes there is no reward at all for mitzvahs in this world, he relies on the fact that there was a element to the story. Why? Because that's an interpersonal mitzvah. And that's why he says, look, there is no reward for mitzvahs in this world. Mitzvahs between you and God. Okay, everybody acknowledges there's no reward in this world. But a mitzvah shebein odam lechaveroi, like kibudav oim, I hold there's also no mitzvah in this world. Haraya, what's the proof? Look at this kid who fell down the ladder and died. Obviously, the man yitav loch varachta yomim is not literal. But mitzvah shiluach hakein to explain it better. The mitzvah of sending away the mother bird liyoyso mitzvah shebein odam lemokom because that's a mitzvah between person and God. Sheikarin yonahu etzim peula sam mitzvah. What is the focus? The deed. Not the impact of the deed, the deed. So therefore, in a kavona of his kavona shaloilakaimasa mitzvah, if a person had an inappropriate or uh, antithetical intention, I don't want to fulfill the mitzvah. Okay, so the person could lose the value of the mitzvah. And then we could make the argument that the Gemara made, maybe he's not protected or getting the reward because he wasn't doing it properly. So therefore, if the story was just about a guy who went to do Shiroch HaKain and died, maybe the reason he died is because he didn't intend to do the mitzvah. In fact, he intended to do the opposite of a mitzvah. And so he lost his chance to be covered by the great bracha of Laman Yitav Lach Varach but Rabbi Yaakov says, the moment the story also incorporates an aspect of interpersonal relationships, when you're doing something for another person, we're not focused on your deed, we're focused on their benefit. What's the most important thing? That his father should get the fledglings that he wanted. Who cares what he was thinking? So even if he was thinking that he doesn't want to do what his father wants, the bottom line is he did it. The bottom line is the father got the, the fledglings. As we know from the very famous Sifri, and this week's parasha about Tzedakah, that you could give Tzedakah not only unintentionally, but even begrudgingly. How do we know that if a person loses a coin and a poor man finds it and uses it to feed himself, that the Torah considers it as if you have fulfilled the mitzvah of Tzedakah, therefore the Torah, the Sifri quotes the Pasuk, that it, it, that's, that's considered Tzedakah. And the Sifri says, so look at that. Imagine a person who did not intend to fulfill a mitzvah and gets the credit of a mitzvah. How much more so somebody who does intend? But let's analyze this. What's it like to lose money? When a person loses money, it's not just that they are 
oblivious to the intention of fulfilling a mitzvah. He's upset to have lost the money. He wishes not to have lost the money. He's angry that he lost the money and still he's fulfilling the mitzvah. Because it's a mitzvah. And the intention of this mitzvah is that money reaches the poor man. Not your intention. And the same logic applies to honoring parents, which is also... All about Bain Odom Lechaveroi, and therefore Kevin Shah of Chafetz Begoyzlois. The father wanted fledglings. The intention of the child, why he decided to get the fledglings, is irrelevant. As long as he brings what his father had asked for. Move on. So now we can understand logically. Rabbi Yaakov's primary source for the idea that there's no reward for mitzvahs in this word, in this world, is dafka from a story of a person honoring his parents and falling and dying. Because whatever his intentions will not in any way corrupt the mitzvah. So you could argue Shiloh HaKain is not protected because he didn't want to do a mitzvah. But Kibbut Avaim, you cannot argue that. The fact that he's doing what the parent wants is what counts. It is considered a mitzvah. And look, the reward does not manifest in this world. Therefore, says Rabbi Yaakov, you have no other choice but to say that when it says that you'll have a long life, it means in the time when life extends forever. And that's that promise of reward in the next world is not only in regard to mitzvahs between us and Hashem, but even in regard to mitzvahs between us and our fellow. And therefore we could say the Rambam says things a little differently and actually does follow the Stam Mishnayas of Chulin and Peah. Because the Rambam understands both of those Mishnayas to mean that there are certain classes of mitzvahs. In other words, any mitzvah that falls under the category of an interpersonal mitzvah, then yes, then yes, you will enjoy some of the benefits in this world. But all other mitzvahs which are between us and Hashem, then we say, Then when the Torah says that things will be good for you, it means in the time when life is unadulterated good. And when it says that you'll live long, it means in the time when life continues uninterrupted. Now it's logical why the Rambam did not quote the Pasuk uh, in order to prove that long life is actually in a spiritual sense. He doesn't quote the Pasuk of Kivu even though it appeared earlier in Torah. Because it's an interpersonal mitzvah where the Rambam agrees that you can benefit in this world. So Rabbi Yaakov emerges as a lone opinion that there's no reward whatsoever for mitzvahs in this world. The Rambam illustrates to us that the other Mishnahists believe that there's a distinction. And this is how he paskins l'halocha. Mitzvahs benodem l'amokim only to be rewarded in the next world. Mitzvahs benodem l'chaveroi will be rewarded in this world too. 
And so now there's no contradiction to the words of the Rambam. The Rambam's not contradicting himself, even though he said that the reward for mitzvahs is in the next world. Because he believes that. Because the real main reward for all mitzvahs is in Olam Abba. As the Mishnah Empire says, HaKerem Kayemes Olam Abba. The principal reward is reserved for the next world. And therefore, the expression to say that the reward of a mitzvah does not exist in this world, which is the words of Rabbi Yaakov, actually fits both in the Rambam's view and in the Mishnah's view. Because everybody agrees that the real reward for mitzvahs is only in the next life, the question is, are there any benefits to be enjoyed in this world? Can we extract something out of the promise of the next world to also enjoy in this world? Because according to the Mishnah and the Rambam, those mitzvahs that are interpersonal do have payrois, they do have benefit in this world. We'll actually see that the Alter Rebbe says the same thing in Igeras Sakoidesh, obviously on a more spiritual level. So the Alter Rebbe puts it into the language of Chassidus. Says the Alter Rebbe, when Chazal tell us, meaning of course Rebbe Yaakov, that there is no reward for mitzvahs in this world. Why is that? Because our world is physical and limited, and therefore therefore it's impossible to have any real meaningful radiance of Hashem's infinite power and energy and light. But when you do mitzvahs that interface with other people, like tzedakah and gemidah chasadim and other interpersonal mitzvahs, then it's almost like there's some holes in the in the curtain that allow a little bit of a ray of light through. That allow some of Hashem's incredible so-called right arm of kindness to seep through. And that gives a person, that allows a person benefit in this world, even if the benefit is physical long life. So the Alter is effectively saying, our world is not designed to handle the real reward of mitzvahs, but a mitzvah opens portals so that at least some of that can seep through into our lives and we get brochas in our lives. That's exactly aligned with the Rambam, which is exactly aligned both with the Mishnah in Chulin and the Mishnah in Peah, which is different to Rabbi Yaakov because Rabbi Yaakov is of the view that you never benefit from a mitzvah in this world. Not only do you not get the main reward in this world, you don't even get the offshoots either. Now, all of this obviously has been a conversation around reward for mitzvahs. Yet, there's another principle as well that sometimes Hashem does things for us, not as a reward, but as a facilitation to allow us to perform more mitzvahs. Everything discussed so far is about reward for mitzvahs. Schar means a side element which you get for having done a mitzvah. 
אבל היהודים בתורה עושים בידם הזה, אין להם עניינו שכר צדודי, but when the Torah promises us peace, money, rain, etc., that's not a side issue, a benefit for having fulfilled mitzvahs. They are integral to Hashem's instruction to us to do mitzvahs. Let's say for argument's sake, a person acquired a slave. The requirement according to Torah is that the owner has to supply the slave with all of his needs. Why? So that the slave can do his job. Which means that if that slave now turns around and says, but I want to do more, I want to be more dedicated. Well, then the response of the Adon, of the master is, sure, you want to serve me more? I'll give you more. In order that that person will serve better, you support him better. Whatever this Adon, the master, is now going to give this person is not reward for what's happened in the past. This is actually to facilitate going forward that the slave will serve. Exactly the same thing applies with us. Like the Rambam said, Hashem gave us this Torah, which is a tree of life. Naturally, naturally then, if we're committed and we're joyous, enthusiastic, and we're fixated on the Torah, then, then of course Hashem is going to remove all the barriers. Like illness, etc. All the things that are impediments to fulfilling. And it'll give us all the good stuff. So that we can to facilitate us learning Torah and doing mitzvahs. Not to reward us for having done Torah mitzvahs. To facilitate that we can furthermore do mitzvahs. And of course the corollary also applies. It's not a side benefit. It's, it's needed, it's, it's fundamental. Because Hashem instructed us to do Torah mitzvahs, it is required for Him to help facilitate us. And every mitzvah is equally in the same category, needs Hashem to smooth the path for us. Kizil follow the logic. The logic says that Hashem gives us these good things, so we could do mitzvahs. So it doesn't matter which mitzvah then. This is actually the difference between what qualifies as reward for mitzvahs and what qualifies as the promises for good things in this world. All the good things that Hashem promises us in this world, so we can fulfill Torah mitzvahs, they are, as the Rambam says, it's all kinds of things that you need in order to be in a happy environment. Peace, leadership, or self-rule, being in the land, having enough food, success. 
These are all things that are necessary so that we can fulfill the Torah. But the reward of a mitzvah, that's in a whole different category. It's beyond anything of this world. That's what Hashem gives us, which is exponentially beyond what a human being needs. And by the way, that helps us to understand that this disturbing story that Rabbi Yaakov witnessed of the fellow who fulfilled two mitzvahs, both of which carry the promise of a long life, and yet he died, that does not contradict the principle of having good things in this world. Having good things in this world means as long as Hashem believes you should be in this world, whereas that story was a story of a person whose time was up. All the promises of the Torah are directed at us as long as we're alive. Because that's when we are expected to keep Torah mitzvahs. And the purpose of these good things is to allow us to keep Torah mitzvahs. So as long as a person is alive, and as long as a person carries that responsibility to fulfill Torah mitzvahs, that's how long they'll have this flow from Hashem. As long as a person is alive and could facilitate Torah mitzvahs, then Hashem has to allow the person to do so by providing the necessary. But when a person's time is up, the allocated years that Hashem gave the person to fulfill Torah mitzvahs are now over. There's no logic to say, oh, but Hashem has to do more goodness to this person and keep them living longer. Why? The only reason Hashem does good things is to facilitate Terah The only reason you do Terah is as long as you're alive. Now the person's no longer alive. It's unnecessary. So therefore this person who fell and died... It's no undermining of the fact that he has to have good in his life to fulfill Torah mitzvahs. Why? Because he's no longer required to fulfill Torah mitzvahs. What you could prove from the story is schar, reward, which is not directly associated with the fulfillment of mitzvahs while living, that you can say there's no schar in this world. And therefore there is a place to learn from this particular story that the real reward of mitzvahs, or according to Rabbi Yaakov, any reward for mitzvahs, does not exist in this world. The Rabbi Yaakov, according to Rabbi Yaakov, this story illustrates that with regard to all mitzvahs, there is no reward in this world. And according to the Rambam, it's any mitzvah between us and Hashem for which there's no reward in this world. So what have we learned from here? That there is clearly a distinction between mitzvahs between people for which a person could be rewarded in this world and mitzvahs between us and Hashem for which there is no reward in this world, at least according to the Rambam and the Mishnah. And of course, Rabbi Yaakov has a more radical opinion that there's no reward whatsoever for mitzvahs in this world. We've also made an important distinction between the things that Hashem grants us in this world to facilitate us being able to serve of Hashem better versus the things that are a reward that only come later on. Now let's look at this from a spiritual perspective. 
This tractate, this Gemara Chulin, belongs to the order, the section of Gemara called Kochim. Now, that's a very interesting play on words, right? Because Chulin means that which is mundane, and Kochim means that which is holy. So there are many places in Chassidus that explains what's the lesson from this. That it's there to teach us that even the ordinary things of, an, of a Jewish person are actually holy if you compare them to ordinary things of the rest of the world. If you want to understand this principle, how you take the mundane of a Jewish person and see its holiness, you've got to look at the beginning and the end of the Masechta. And we know that the beginning and end of the Masechta are always connected to each other. The beginning of the Masechta spoke about the laws of Shechita. In fact, there are places that refer to the entire Masechta as Shechita Shulin because Shechita, Shechting, Slaughter, is such a central theme of this Gemara. What is Shechting? So the idea of Shechita is, as the Gemara describes, that there is no correct way to Shecht an animal, to draw the knife across the animal. It's that word, that phrase, umoshach, which explains why a Jewish person is allowed to kill an animal in the first place in order to eat. You have to know the answer to this question. How is it acceptable to kill an animal in order to eat? When you consider that that causes pain to the animal which we're not allowed to inflict. Especially when you consider that there are many halachic opinions that say that the prohibition against causing pain to an animal is a Torah-based prohibition. The only reason we're allowed to eat meat is because of this principle of umoshach, which means not just to draw the knife, but umoshach, means when you lead or draw an animal from one territory to another, from, let's say, for example, a person sells an animal. So how do I know that the animal is now the buyer's? When the buyer leads the animal out of the property of the seller into his property, Moshach. That's what shows the transfer of, of ownership. In spiritual terms, it means, The idea of shechting is to draw the animal from its original spiritual status into a higher spiritual status. More specifically, the idea of drawing the, the animal upwards through the shechting process is that you have a behemoth which belongs to the life category called chai, living beings. Once you've shechted it, it could become digested into and part of the living organism called a human. Which is a higher life form the life form called those who are gifted with speech. And even that's not good enough. That's not enough. Only Jewish people are required to have this unique form of slaughter called shechita. In other words, as Jews, we are not satisfied to take an animal and elevate it to the realm of the human. 
We want the animal to be part of that category of humans that is called Adam al-Shem Idamele Elyon, which is the word Adam means I will be like, I'll be similar to the one on high. And that is illustrated more clearly at the end of the tractate. When a Jewish person fulfills a mitzvah, and not just because they think it's a nice idea, but because this is what Hashem instructed. That person then overwhelms their personal Yitzhahara. Then not only do you take a piece of meat and elevate it to a higher status, but you take your own personal animal, your nefesh abahamis, and elevate it to a higher status. Which means that you take the part of yourself that is mundane and you transform it to become holy. The nefesh of Bahamas, the animal soul of a human being, of a Jewish person, is, it's mundane. It's focused on the mundane, eating, sleeping, and whatever. And I'm taking it and elevating it to holiness. I elevate my nefesh of Bahamas to become part of my nefesh And that's why I will be called Adam, meaning I am similar to the one on high, to Hashem himself. When we succeed in elevating ourselves, that in turn elevates the world around us, the animal kingdom around us, into the holiness of the spiritual, of the, of the neshama, of the Jewish people. And that is exactly the message of the end of the Masechta. That what is the ultimate state? What is the ultimate experience of holiness and spirituality? Long life and goodness. But what kind of long life and goodness? Long life and goodness that is true, that is infinite. Where the person is in a sense of being really clearly connected to Hashem. What is this life that goes on forever that we're talking about? What exactly is going to happen in in that next world? It's where you see that your neshama and your body are completely connected to Hashem. That's the ultimate purpose of elevating the world. What is this Masechta about? Elevating the world. Taking the animal and making it holy. Taking the Nefesh Abamis and making it holy. Which will lead a person to the ultimate schar, which is where you see that you're living absolutely one with godliness. Considering, as we know, that the Gemara tells us, based on the Pasuk, that every single Jewish person is righteous, and every Jew is filled with mitzvahs, like a pomegranate is filled with seeds. Especially this time of the year, the month of Bedal, when Jews are more engaged with their Judaism in the three primary channels. The three primary channels which are each alluded to by the abbreviation of Elul. The first, which is a pasuk about the Ari Mikrat, the cities of refuge, which we understand to be Proteus, that specifically, besides the idea that it refers to generally that Elul is a time of refuge through Teshuvah, more specifically, Koyala Torah refers to the channel of Torah learning because Divrei Torah Shein Koltim, because we're told that Torah words are a place of refuge as well. So that's the channel of Torah that people are more engaged, people learn more Torah at this time of the year. 
Elul is famously an abbreviation for I relate to my beloved and my beloved to me, which is Avoida Satfila. That's davening, the second channel. The third channel, taken from the Purim story, is that it stands for each person reaching out to the next person, giving them gifts, which is a kavd gemidus chasodim, the approach or the channel of goodness and kindness to the next person. So we're engaged with Torah and mitzvahs. Therefore, Mekayim HaKadosh Baruch Hu Therefore, Hashem will keep His promise. And give every one of us. In addition to all the things that Hashem promises that will be good for us to facilitate Torah and mitzvahs. That we should have satisfaction and peace and enough gold and silver. So we could be free of stress and worry to be able to focus completely on Torah and mitzvahs. Besides that, Gamschar Mitzvah. Hashem will fulfill His promise and also give us the rewards for the Mitzvah of which the core product is reserved for the next world. But we still get benefit in this world. Because amongst the many mitzvahs that we do, especially at this time of the year, are mitzvahs which the Mishnah Empire tells us we get to enjoy the benefits in this world too. What benefits? That we should literally have long life in this world. We should all have a and a good and sweet year. In revealed good that you can identify and experience down here in the tangible world in our reality.